we got a boatload of coaching hires. We sadly have a coaching casualty on top of that. We got some trades. We got a couple of key signings. And we also have a Stanley Cup champion. Episode 327 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett DeBuff. Jam-packed show ahead of us today, Brett. But before we get any further, uh, hope everyone had a good Canada Day for all you Canadian fans listening. Uh, For all you American fans, hope you had a great 4th of July, a.k.a. Joey Chestnut Day. And uh, shout out to the St. John Sea Dogs who won this year's Memorial Cup. Uh, they defeated the Hamilton Bulldogs six three in the finale. Just wanted to put that out there. Goodness, you had mentioned the the Memorial Cup, and it, like, because I had kind of been saying like, oh, I wonder how often it is that the host city wins, and the host city won this year. So that's just yeah. Uh, last time was 2017, I believe. I vaguely mentioned it. Uh, the Winter Spitfires defeating the Erie Otters in 2017 the last time it happened right right yeah it's just uh yeah it's just funny that like on the time when i mention it it's it's i don't know i i saw also a watch out for william dufour islanders late round prospect uh maybe keep an eye on him Uh, could be an nhl or someday i think i've heard of him before um yeah it's it's funny too because i thought like just on or i saw on twitter that um that like they were thinking or someone was saying that what they what the chl should do is they should add the ushl um as the fourth league and so then like you don't have to worry about this like host city thing anymore um because then you have four (laughs) leagues um and you just have like the champion of all those um but i don't know if that i mean (laughs) technically the chl wouldn't would have to change their name because the USHL is pretty much all the American teams. That's why they're in there, so I don't know. Um, Anyway, speaking of which, uh, uh, we have a bunch of coaching news, and the first one, of course, um, is uh, Jim Montgomery, who goes to the, uh, he's he's the new Bruins head coach. Um, And the reason why I bring up or it's a good transition is because um, in the 2010-2011 season and the 2012-2013 season, uh, the uh, J- Jim Montgomery led the Dubuque Fighting Saints uh, to a uh, championship in the USHL. Um, so, and uh, um, he also uh, was a coach for the University of Denver. I believe he also won a championship there. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, he went uh, to Dallas. Um, he didn't make the Stanley Cup Finals for any of the uh, for any of those two years, uh, but he was still a pretty good coach back then. Uh, his first year, he was 43, 30, and 32 and seven, um, and they lost in the second round. And then uh, the bubble year, um, although the Stars did eventually, that team did eventually make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. He wasn't, I mean, we're about to talk about that coach as well, but uh, he 
he had to he was let go uh, towards uh, thirty one games in. Uh, because... I think he resigned. Not I don't think he was let go. I think yeah, he yeah. resigned. Okay, yeah, that actually, I, I mean, I was getting to that, but yes, you're right. I guess that's the better term for it. Uh, he, uh, he said that he, um, because he, he had to go to rehab, he was an alcoholic, or he admitted that he was an alcoholic, so uh, he decided to leave uh, due to that. Um, however, eventually, uh, the, next, the following year, he became an assistant coach for the St. Louis Blues, um, and he was the St. Louis Blues assistant coach uh, last year as well. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, he, this is a guy, a coach who, um, a coach who's like been, who's been successful in like three different leagues. Um, of course he hasn't gone into the Stanley cup finals, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't have shocked me if they made the Stanley cup finals, um, had he stayed, um, uh, that same year without, uh, like if it was, him instead of bonus but um and then uh, uh like what what's uh what i've heard a lot of people say now because of, of course i'm it's hard to be objective when it's ever like the the bruins news but um the uh i i did see that uh the st louis blues were like number two in the power play and a lot of that uh, can be credited to uh, jim montgomery um so so yeah and, and the, if i like um, if you remember correctly, uh, the Bruins struggled with the power play, um, in the, especially in the playoffs. So uh, yeah, so if if he can improve the power play, this is a great hire. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting too because there were like rumors that the Bruins were going to go with David Quinn um, or that they like he was the front runner. Uh, There's also the Seattle assistant coach who was in the running. Um, and the Penguins assistant coach, who was also in the running, um, but uh, but yeah, it's like you know, like I was kind of like building, like I was talking myself into David Quinn. I was just like, okay, like this is probably like a rebuilding mode, and and that's totally okay. And he has experience coaching with McAvoy and Grizz, um, and I didn't even like consider the fact that like we'd we'd get a coach who <laughs> who's like more experienced than uh than any of these guys um and like i didn't even think of like jim montgomery as an option because once trots was out i was just like okay it's always going to be a downgrade from cassidy um because trots is out um but uh but yeah it's like this is this is a nice move um i will say that i'm still concerned uh with this bruins team i'm not sure if it, like i feel like we're destined to be mediocre this year um, like we may make the playoffs, but if even if we do, it's like I don't see us playing um, like beating Tampa, Florida, or Toronto in the playoffs. Um, and but that's more of a criticism on Sweeney than than uh, the whoever we hire as a coach. Um, and yeah, it's, so it's it's cool to see at least that like okay, this is a sign the Bruins are gonna still try to compete, um, and and yeah, we'll go from here. Um, but like you know, Sweeney has to get uh, a second line center. Like that's just um, non-negotiable. He has to do something. Um, and um, and yeah, we'll we'll see uh, we'll see what he does, but. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good that he like this. This seems to be the most um, legit coach that we could get. 
Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, it should be noted that uh, Don Sweeney signed an extension to yep. remain the Bruins PM, and I've never seen a tweet get ratioed so yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone hates it, yeah. Yeah, like eight people cheered for it. Right, 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 right. <laughs> It wasn't good. It wasn't good. It's it's funny, uh, actually, on that note, because, like, usually when I, like, I follow them on Instagram, the Bruins on Instagram, obviously, and, like, usually I, uh, I like every tweet that, or every Instagram post that, that they (laughs) post. I didn't, I didn't like that one. (laughs) So that just tells you how much I feel about uh, Sweeney. You and a horde of other Bruins fans. Anyway, uh, Jim Montgomery, uh, the, the coach that was hired, I do agree that ultimately, while it would have been interesting to see David Quinn um, maybe operate the power play even as an assistant coach, if not that, that could be an option elsewhere. But in terms of the guy that they hired, the one thing that stuck out to me about Jim Montgomery when he first entered the NHL, and Brett, we talked about this on the podcast a few years back when the Dallas Stars hired him to be their coach. I think it was... The 2018 offseason, I want to say, because I think they had parted ways with Lindy Ruff at that point. And he came out, Jim Montgomery did, with, I can't remember how much, how many steps it was, was involved, but he had like a five-step, six-step, or a seven-step plan on how he was going to improve the Dallas Stars as a whole in terms of shot blocking, in terms of defensive structure. And it really caught my attention Uh, This is a guy coming out of the NCAA. He's got an interesting plan in place. He puts that plan into action, and that team not only makes the playoffs, but they're one goal away from the Western Conference Finals. Unfortunately, his future employer in St. Louis said, now we're winning the Cup this year, deal with it. And uh, Patrick Maroon scored the game winner in double overtime. Um, But he took the Stars to Game 7 of the second round in that year's playoffs, and that was a pretty good debut season. Unfortunately... Uh, his battles, uh, his battles with alcohol, uh, unfortunately caught up with him and his tenure in Dallas didn't last very long after that. Um, but this is a pretty good second chance to, to prove yourself at the NHL level. And I think the Boston Bruins have a lot of promising pieces, um, that, that have made them, that have made themselves into NHL regulars. And this past season, uh, have made themselves more than just NHL regulars. There's potential with Matt Grizzlick, like we saw. You also have uh, Brandon Carlo in the mix. Um, maybe he can get the best out of Mike Riley as well. Connor Clifton, too. Maybe he gets an extra gear out of Trent Frederick, and right. Trent Frederick becomes a secondary scorer for the Bruins. Maybe he gets the most out of uh, Jake DeBrusque as well. And that's important. Because secondary scoring, like you mentioned, Brett, uh, second line center, yes, but secondary scoring, period. Yeah. Um, you, you can't rely on Taylor Hall to get all of it. And yeah. you also need uh, to get more of that out of Charlie Coyle, especially at his cap hit and the contract that they've signed him to. Out of, It's interesting, Brett, out of all the Bruins forwards, the longest tenured forward right now in terms of years left is Charlie Coyle. He has four years right. left. Marshall and Hall both have three left uh, heading into the upcoming season. And, of course, David Pasternak's going to be the uh, uh, most talked about name in Boston um, until they decide uh, who the heck is paying him uh, on his next contract. Um, you also mentioned that, uh, that uh, Jim Montgomery coached the uh, – the Dubuque. Fighting Saints in the yeah. USHL, 
And uh, you were kind enough to remind me that uh, Johnny Gaudreau played yep. on that same team. And um, he, I, I, I'd, be, I'd be interested uh, to know, Brett, uh, if Johnny Gaudreau to the Bruins became a possibility, would you be down for well, yes, he's uh, Johnny Gaudreau is one of my favorite players. Um, but as I mentioned in the email, um, yeah, uh, by the way, it's not, this is just speculation. Uh, Friedman even mentioned this. Uh, so it's not like I was reminding Steve about it. But um, the, um, yeah, I, I, I would definitely be down for it. But of course, it's like, um, I mean, first off, as I mentioned, we need a center more than a winger. And, uh, or the fact that, like, you know, Goudreau is a left winger. We also have Taylor Hall in the mix and Brad Marchand. So it would be like a New York Rangers type situation where we have so many left wingers. Um, but, um, so, so I, I don't think it would fit, not to mention the fact that, like, the cap situation where, like, Goudreau is probably going to ask for $10 million at minimum. And that's something that yeah. the Bruins don't necessarily have. So, um, so yes, I am well aware that yes, this uh, this could lead to uh, Gaudreau coming back to Boston. If you remember, uh, Gaudreau also, I mean, he made his mark when he played for BC and became like the best college player um, ever. Um, so, uh, so there's that that connection, but. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think Gaudreau is actually going to sign here. Um, it, it just, it wouldn't make sense uh, cap-wise or anything like that. But um, Yeah, and, but, and to counter my, my, but my original a man, point a man well, can dream. A man can dream. Like, you need a center to play <laughs> yeah, with him. And exactly. He has a good one in Calgary with Lindholm, too. Right, right, right. Yeah, a, a man can dream, though, so I, I, I'm still not holding out hope. But uh, it was funny when I saw that tweet today, and I was just like, oh, wait. We might actually get Johnny Gaudreau if, like, we have a like another like percent chance. Um, <laughs> it would have actually been pretty funny if, like, Sweeney hired Montgomery just because he thought that that meant that they have a better chance of signing Gaudreau. I don't think it does, but um, but it would be funny um, if that. A two percent chance is still better than zero. Right, right. I mean, like we we still kind of had a chance just because of the Boston College connection, but um, but yeah, I, I don't know if uh, I, I I still I don't think that's the that's the best um, sign. So, but anyways, it's um, you know like we we thought that uh, maybe David Quinn was going to be the front runner just because he had coached. Charlie McAvoy and Grizzlick um, when they were at BU. So, um, so yeah, it, it's it's not unheard of, I guess, but it's just, uh, I, I don't think it's gonna happen. Um, the other thing though, of note though, is uh, Jim Montgomery played for the University of Maine. Um, the goalie coach uh, for the Bruins, who I'm blanking on his name, also played for the University of Maine and they were teammates, uh, Montgomery and this goalie coach. And then, um, if you remember, Jeremy Swayman is uh, his college was also University of Maine. So, um, so there is that connection where it's like the head coach, the goalie coach, and the goalie of the future are all went to Maine, um, and that, that that's kind of cool too. But um, uh, that actually ties the Bruins alumni um, 
street or active roster alumni because uh, with three uh, BU, as I mentioned, Charlie McAvoy, Matt Grizzlick, and Charlie Coyle are all um, all went to BU. Um, so so if you count the coaches and all that stuff, then yes, you are. Um, it is uh, Maine has has tied BU with with that lead. Um, Anyways, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it, we'll see. Uh, the other thing of note before I move on, uh, David Perron also mentioned the hire and he really liked it. Um, I just realized that David Perron is, um, is a UFA right now. Um, again, we probably need more centers than, than wingers, but yeah, I'd welcome David Perron if he, if he, uh, if he liked uh, Montgomery so much. Uh, but uh, but we'll see. Um, all right. Um, so now we go to the next hire, uh, which was Winnipeg. Um, of course, there were talks that Winnipeg was going to get Barry Trotz, but instead they uh, hire Rick Bonus um, instead um, because uh, Barry Trotz uh, decided to uh, back out this year. Um, and um, yeah, as, as we mentioned before, he did take over from Montgomery um, and led them to the Stanley Cup Finals and they almost won, but they didn't. Um, then the next, the following year, um, the Stars went 23, 19, and 14, um, and they were out of the playoffs. It's still a 536 uh, winning percentage, so that's not terrible. Um, and then this past year, they, um, they went 46, 30, and 6, um, and they lost in the first round, but they had a 598 winning percentage, so that's not terrible. Um, of course, he's been in the league forever. He's uh, he's coached my team. He's coached Steve's team. Um, he actually coached the Winnipeg Jets at the start, so this is like a welcome back type thing. Um, actually, that was his first job. Um, he was an assistant coach for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, for three years, I would assume this is not the yeah, it's, it's not the Atlanta this is Thrashers. Jets 1.0, yeah, yeah. by the way. Right, He's right. been in the league uh, for a time. But uh, but it was his first uh, it was his first coaching hire, uh, where he went um, eight seventeen and three, um, yeah, and that's not good. <laughs> um, so they went out of the playoffs, um, but um, but yeah, so so it is kind of cool that he's he's back in the. Um, He's back doing this thing um, in Winnipeg again. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this is a, like, of course, it's like always disappointing because you don't have Barry Trotz and, and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I think Bonus is a good coach. Um, and, and we'll, but like, you know, there were always those like rumblings that he wasn't like necessarily the, a player's coach. Um, and that that could definitely um, happen again in Winnipeg. We'll see. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I kind of like this hire. I think it's a hire that Winnipeg kind of needs because they also have a bit of an identity crisis, I feel like, at the moment. Uh, as I'm sure most of everyone has heard by now, if you followed uh, the trade rumor mill, when uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is eligible for free agency in 2024, he plans to test the open market, which is a Jets fan who's just like, oh, great, we traded Patrick Laine for a guy who wants to test free agency. Love to hear that. Right. And uh, also hear that Blake Wheeler 
Uh, the the heart and soul of the Jets, their captain, with two years left on his deal, he's on the trade block uh, potentially as well, uh, which is interesting. And I feel like if you're the Winnipeg Jets in the mighty Central Division, you just missed out on the playoffs. Uh, you kind of, I, I, the furthest thing from exceeding expectations, I would say, it was an underwhelming performance all around. Um, Connor Hellebuck faced too many shots again, and this time it bit them. I feel like you need to establish an identity. Uh, the, after Maurice left and Dave Lowry came in, I don't think they really had time to establish one, but um, nevertheless, even if they did, I think they would have run out of racetrack to do that. And you're looking at a guy who's been around the league He's been around the league across different decades. So in terms of experience uh, outside of, um, you know, your current team, uh, Rick Bonus has been on some bad teams. He's been on expansion teams. He's been on teams on an interim basis. He's taken teams on playoff runs. You name it, he's probably done it. Yep. And... I think more than anything, that's what Winnipeg needs, is they need a master of adapting to unpredictable circumstances. Because I think he's just about faced every single circumstance you can imagine in hockey. And I think his mindset is exactly what the doctor ordered. I don't know what this Jets team is going to look like. Um, they do have some promising prospects like Morgan Barron and... Uh, Cole Perfetti in the mix, Chaz Lucius too, Vili Ainola. They're waiting for him to be an NHL regular finally. And um, I don't really necessarily consider them a playoff team at this point, but whatever team they're going to ice, they need a team that's going to compete. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't think Winnipeg is going to have enough skill to play run and gun with the top dogs like the Colorados, the Minnesotas, the St. Louis's of their division. And they're going to have to rely on some gutsy team play to get two points every night. And I think Bonus can get the most out of his group. You might not like him at times. He might make uh, some questionable decisions, but he does what he feels is best for the team ultimately. And it's gotten him success recently. And if, if you're, if you're, if you're a market that uh, that's as passionate for the fan base as Winnipeg is, a market that Bonus knows fairly well, um, I think he can tap into this group and get more out of this group than maybe what even the players themselves think they're capable of right now. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's hard to see like. I mean, I I think we'll we'll end up seeing what they're really like. I mean, obviously that's. <laughs> That's the same. You can say that for every every team, but um, yeah, I don't know. I I, I think uh, Winnipeg was such a mess, but I think like that could be explained because they had their coach step away surprisingly in the middle of the season. Um, so I am kind of curious what they're gonna do when you do have a coach again um, in the place here. Um, and yeah, not to mention like you know I I think a big reason why Winnipeg fell off was because of Hellebuck because um, he was holding the team together for so long um, but yeah if you and like now that like you know the stars have always had like decent goaltending 
Um, so um, with, with Rick Bonus there, um, so so I, I think that can that can certainly help uh, Hellebuck get back to to uh, what we expect him to be. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to be the the big question and the big um, thing about uh, Rick Bonus's tenure. There is like, okay, can he get Hellebuck back? Because if he's not back, then there's bigger <laughs> concerns for the Winnipeg Jets than um, than what like whatever else is on the ice. Um, and also secondary scoring too. Yeah. Obviously, Pierre Luc Dubois had a great totally year. Fair. Kyle Connor had a fantastic year. Yeah. And Nikolai Ehlers had his moments too, but they need more than just those guys picking up the oh, slack. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they need more. They need they need more goals from other places. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Um, okay, so uh, so I actually so I've been looking at the coaching records for all these guys, and I've noticed something different for this this guy, um, or a similarity to Jim Montgomery here. Um, I'm talking about Derek Lalonde. He's the Detroit Red Wings coach. Um, he was the assistant coach for Tampa Bay for the last four years. Um, so something's clearly working for him. But what's interesting um, is first, uh, he, uh, he uh, coached the University of Denver from 2006 to 2011. Um, yeah. And he also uh, went um, in the 2011 2012 season he coached the Green Bay Gramblers of the USHL to a championship and uh, that's in between when Jim Montgomery won uh, for Dubuque um, those two times as I mentioned earlier but it's, it is a weird coincidence that like Lalonde had also coached for University of Denver and Montgomery eventually coached for University of Denver um, so it's just uh, there is some parallel there um, but uh, that's where the parallel stops, really, because uh, then um, he uh, Lalonde coaches for t in Green Bay for uh, two more years after they win the championship. Uh, does he always loses in the first round here? Uh, then he coaches in the ECHL for the Toledo Walleye. Um, uh, he loses in the first the third round um, the first time. Then he uh, loses in round one, uh, the second year, um, and then I guess he goes to the AHL uh, for the Iowa Wild. Um, and uh, even though he had a winning record for both those seasons, um, he's out of the playoffs um, both those times. And then, um, and yeah, he became an assistant coach for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, I would assume a lot of it had to do with uh, Steve Geiserman. Uh, like connection with with Lalonde because that was around the time when uh, Yeiserman was still with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, so yeah, I, I think his first season ended up being Yeiserman's last because right. twenty eighteen nineteen shortly after the sweep. I think that's when yeah. Yeiserman took their Detroit job, or is the year after. That, that sounds about right. But either way, it's um, it's uh, that's how they. Um, yeah, they, uh, that's clearly the connection that, uh, or how he got this job. He probably would eventually have a job anyways if Yeiserman didn't, just because, you know, the assistant coach for one of the best teams in the last three years um, would, would, would probably get some interest from, from teams. 
up. But yeah, so it, it, we'll we'll see um, how it goes. But I, you know, I like like yes, there is something to like getting a guy like Montgomery, Trotz, or like you know Torts, or like any guy who's had NHL experience um, as a head coach. But it's kind of cool when teams like just pick a guy who's like this is going to be their first time in the uh, coaching in the NHL. So. Um, well, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes, but uh, but it is kind of cool that he uh, um, that that we'll see how he does. Um, I guess like the big thing is we'll have to see how um, because Detroit's defense was horrible this last year, so I am curious how he's going to improve that, and and we'll, yeah, we'll see. Should also be noted, by the way, that um, Andrew Burnett, who had. Uh, done a masterful job coaching the Florida Panthers, was on the market when Derek Lomond was hired. So instead of uh, just low-key, just sneak, uh, just uh, grabbing the former uh, Panthers coach uh, for the Red Wings job, he gets a Tampa Bay assistant. I'm thinking, okay, what's Steve Eisenman know now that we don't know? Because this is such an off-the-board hire. So I'm willing uh, to give it some time. I would think defensive structure has to be important with this coaching hire because I'll tell you one thing, it wasn't around before Eiserman went back to Detroit and in 2019-20 it certainly wasn't there and it hasn't been there enough to get results uh, the past couple of years. Um, we talk about UC Saros and Connor Elbuck facing too many shots. Alex Nadelkovich was top 10 in that category as well and uh, they also leaned a lot on a rookie defenseman named Ward Sider, as opposed to a veteran presence in Nick Letty, who they brought in to kind of stabilize the defense. Um, so Detroit's defense was basically as shoddy as ever, uh, giving up too many shots, giving up too many goals against. So that's definitely going to be a point of emphasis. And you know what, with uh, all of the success offensively that Tampa Bay's had, uh, maybe Derek Lalonde uh, can get the best out of his club defensively, but also keep the offensive part of the game intact. Because it's all about striking that uh, that fine balance, especially at a time, at a critical juncture of uh, the Red Wings, where they're still trying to find out which guys are going to be in it for the long haul. We thought Anthony Mantha was, and then he got shipped out to the Capitals uh, in a shocker of a trade deadline deal. Uh, it should be noted, by the way, after this upcoming season, that both Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi are free agents. So they can uh, head elsewhere if they choose to. And I feel like uh, in, in the case of Dylan Larkin, he's a part of the offense that you need to keep around. Tyler Bertuzzi, if it makes sense for both sides, maybe. But um, that, that remains to be seen. We'll see what happens on that front. Um, but yeah. Um, I, I feel like this is one of those Steve Eiserman moves that when we look back on it, we're going to think to ourselves, man, that was a really good hire, and we had no idea just how good this guy was going to be. Yeah. Or it could uh, fail spectacularly. Everything that Eiserman has done to this point, for the most part, has turned to gold, but nothing has really turned into a booger uh, at this point, so... It, yeah. it could be the first. It could be the first of a few boogers in in Eisenman's career that he True. makes, but we'll see. 
Well, we we said the same thing about Alex and Delkovich last year. We were like, oh, like, uh, we thought that Yeiserman, uh, like, uh, um, snatched uh, or uh, fleeced uh, Carolina there in the trade. And then turns out Nadelkovich... I still argue he did. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but, like, Nadelkovich was by far the worst goaltender um, in the league. But, yes, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, and also to your Brumanet comment, like literally all these coaches also have hired, like, like Brunette was fired when, um, all these coaching vacancies were happening too. So you could say the same thing about Boston. Why didn't they go for Brunette? Why didn't Winnipeg go for Brunette? Why didn't Chicago go for Brunette? But, uh, but yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. Um, there. Okay, uh, the next hire we'll talk about is uh, Luke Richardson. Uh, he's He gets hired by Chicago. Um, and, uh, yeah, he um, this one's a little bit interesting, too. Or this one's more of a head-scratcher. It's like, for Lalonde, I can understand it. You know, a guy who was the assistant coach for Tampa. He has a connection with Steve Geiserman, all that stuff. But... Um, this guy, uh, Luke Richardson, uh, he's only been an assistant coach uh, for seven years. Um, uh, three for the Ottawa Senators. Uh, then he goes to the AHL and he's a head coach. He's not. He's like decent, but not great. And then, um, and then he goes to uh, the New York Islanders as an assistant coach. And then he spends four years for Montreal as an assistant coach. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think it, it is a weird move. Um, of course, this is like Chicago, so like you know they're still trying to like get rid of the reputation that they have after that scandal. But um, so it's like they're they're probably just like taking whatever they can get. But I don't know. It, it, this this still feels like a weird hire uh, for me. But uh, yeah, because we'll, we'll, just because it's like it's not like Montreal. Like he wasn't like so good where to the point when uh when Ducharme was fired like you know Luke Richardson didn't take the place they had to hire Martin St. Louis instead so um it's like if Montreal doesn't think you're a good coach it's like what what are you doing here um I mean I guess to be fair Montreal does have that like French coaching rule so maybe that had something to do with it but um but yeah it's, it's still like a strange hire um but yeah, I mean, who knows? It, like, again, it's like maybe maybe this guy does do something, but I there is something to be said about a coach who's like you know he gets his first shot um, in the NHL instead of like any of the other like retreads. So, I'll I'll give Chicago some credit for for that, but um, but it is still a strange hire of like if you're going to go off the board, why why this guy? I love Luke Richardson, and I really, really wish this wasn't his first gig because it's going to be hell. It's going to be pure hell, and I'll explain why. The Chicago Blackhawks are about to become cellar dwellers of the NHL, and they're going to stay that way for a pretty long time. Maybe not a pretty long time, but at least a couple of years. And they're going to need a coach that makes it an enjoyable experience at the rink. They need a coach that can make it enjoyable for players to come to the rink every day. Because there's going to be a lot 
of negative attention surrounding this team. Alex Dabrinkit is circling around hockey trade rumors. For what reasons, I have no freaking clue. Yep. But he's there. And you have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze in the final year of their contracts. If the Blackhawks are smart, the only thing they will do is trade both of them and get whatever futures they can, especially for Patrick Kane, who still has some prime years left. He's 33 years old. Jonathan Taves is not the player he once was. He's 34. 10.5 million. You need to get rid of that salary cap and you need to start fresh. You have guys like Tyler Johnson and Sam Lafferty and a bunch of young guys in the mix as well. Uh, you have Kirby Dock who you're trying to develop. Dominic Kubelik who's had an off season. Uh, Dylan Strom had a roller coaster season of his own. He's also an RFA like Kublik is right now. And oh, by the way, Colin Delia and Kevin Lankinen are both unrestricted free agents, and that's basically their goaltending tandem right now. So, like, you don't even know who your goalie is. Right. You start with Marc Andre Fleury and Kevin Lankinen, and one of them you trade away for a first round or a second round pick. And, and and the other one, who had a pretty decent rookie campaign the year before, just basically got shot out of a cannon and let out to dry by his teammates. This is not going to be a pretty Blackhawks team but at all. And they're going to need a coach for the next couple of years to weather the storm, and then some, and hopefully get the best out of the players they possibly can. And that's going to be Luke Richardson's job. He's not there to thrive, in my opinion. He's there to just make sure they don't hit the iceberg because there's going to be a lot of turnover and a lot of change in a short period of time, and it's not going to be a fun year for Hawks fans or players. Yeah, I guess that is fair. It's like, okay, you're like, you know, it's not like the Blackhawks are going to be good this this next season. Um, but yeah, and so it's like, you might as well just take this wild card coach and and see what he does. But yeah, at the same time, it's just, it feels like, okay, why, why did you, why did you do this? (laughs) I don't know. Um, it's still a little strange, but, um, but yeah, maybe, maybe they are like hoping that like Luke Richardson develops into a good coach, uh, when, when they need him to be whenever that is like you know maybe three three seasons from now or something like that but i don't know it does feel like a strange strange uh move to say the least um okay uh we also have uh lastly we have a weird we have a firing in fact which is which is strange because you don't like usually all the coaches have been fired already um, but, uh, yeah, San Jose fires, uh, Bob Bugner, um, and also the assistant coaches. It's not so surprising that this guy got fired so much, but it's more just the timing because pretty much everyone else in the league has already found their coach. So it's like, if you fire like Bugner, then like they didn't even have a chance to like hire any like Montgomery, uh, Ports or like uh, Trots, even I mean Trots didn't end up getting anyone, but like you can't. Andrew Burnett's still available yeah. though, so is David Quinn. Right, that's what I was getting to. It's like, but <laughs> you know, you still have Andrew Burnett who's available as we were mentioning, so maybe there is something to that. Like, 
when they're saying like, okay, so we're going to fire Bob Bugner, which is fine because he, you know, he wasn't really a great coach for San Jose um, and kind of wore out his welcome. But like, but then it's like, why did you fire him now instead of like right after the season ended? Um, that's just, it doesn't make so much sense to me. But yes, as you were saying, like if they do hire Andrew Burnett, then it's like, okay, well, I mean, I guess this worked out for them because he might be better than a lot of these coaches that are already hired. Um, and, um, you know, just the fact that he was able to get something out of the Florida Panthers and like, you know, make them a very, very dangerous team uh, when he was an interim head coach. Um, so that there, there is something there. Um, I would say that Andrew Burnett is probably probably should be their their front runner for them for that job. Um, and it's not like Santa, like yeah, San Jose does have defensive issues and all that stuff, but um, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't think it's um, like I I could totally see San Jose picking up Andrew Burnett. Um, after this or like maybe that is why they fired Bob Bugner because they're like thinking like oh we didn't we assumed that Brunette was going to stay with Florida so like let's just let's just pick Brunette up um and, and see how that goes but um but yeah it's it's definitely a weird thing just purely just because it's like why now if I'm the San Jose Sharks players, I take this as a wake-up call. Yeah. When you fire all of the coaching staff, not just the head coach, yeah. it's your scapegoats are out. Yeah. Either you figure it out, or we get players who will. And you look at Eric Carlson's cap hit, hasn't aged well. You look at Brent Burns, and you wonder how many years of him, how many prime years of Brent Burns do you have left? Same with Logan Couture. You just signed Thomas Hurdle to a massive contract, and after next year, you got to pay Timo Meyer. So you need a coach that can get the most out of this group right now, and Bob Buchner couldn't. And within the next couple of years, if nothing's changed, they're going to have to make some tough decisions. And right now, they have $5 million in cap space. They have five point six. Seven million in cap space at the moment, and they have no key R- UFAs to worry about. They do have some RFAs that they're going to have to keep. One of which uh, is a guy like Jonathan Dallin, who had a pretty respectable season. There's also upside with Noah Gregor and John Leonard. They're also RFAs. Same with uh, Mario Ferraro. Capo Kakinen is also an RFA, and he's 25. Overall, when you look at the San Jose Sharks and their ability their ability to improve the overall roster, there's very little they can do right now unless, you know, they make trades or they make buyouts happen. And they already bought out Martin Jones. So <laughs> let's see. Actually, how many years of dead cap? Yeah, five more years of Martin Jones dead cap. Love to see that. Um. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough slaying for the Sharks, and they're in the easiest division in hockey right now, and there's very little time to improve. So whoever takes over that mess going to have uh, a very tall order to get them back to relevancy because in terms of um, how in the heck Joe Will, their interim GM, can fix this situation, um, it would be a tall order for any general manager 
and uh, not going to be an easy one to fix. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, if I'm Burnett, I'd probably just take any offer. But like, it's not like the the Sharks are like that terrible. Like, I could see them bouncing back this this next year, um, especially if William Eklund uh, plays uh, this year. Um, but because uh, he could be a difference maker for them, but um, but yeah, I, I like you know I, I think when I look at all the coaches that are still available, a uh, Rick Talkin is another one that could be interesting uh, too. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I'm just you know it's, it's just like the only thing that I wonder is like why did they fire him right now instead of like a month ago? Um, but whatever. Um, okay, so uh, we will get to the Tampa Bay obituary, but we do want to cover some trades and signings as well, and then we'll obviously we'll talk about Colorado winning the Stanley Cup. Um, but um, so the first one, which which was a big trade, I think this actually happened as soon like the next day after the Avalanche won the Cup. Uh, Kevin Fiala goes to the LA Kings. Um, and then he immediately signs this contract, um, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, the Minnesota Wild, they get Brock Faber and uh, 2022 first-round pick, which is the 19th overall pick from the Kings. Um, Brock Faber, actually, I don't know if you know this, but he's from Minnesota. Uh, he also was the captain for the, for, for the Gophers as well. Uh, in fact, they actually showed a... a screen grab of um Kaprizov scoring um scoring a goal and you can see Brock Faber like celebrating with like a wild jerseys on so they were saying like oh like future teammate of Kapril, Kirill Kaprizov celebrating with uh, Kaprizov as he scores so it's like uh so it, it is kind of cool that like a Minnesota native and an actual wild fan um is like now on the wild as well. So, so that's pretty cool. cool. Um, he's not necessarily known as like, a, he's like an offensive, he's not really known for an offensive defenseman type, but he is supposedly just all these scouting reports say that he's like a very good defensively. Um, he's like, a, but he's a decent two way defenseman. Um, and yeah, I, and he even played for the uh, team USA in the Olympics. Um, so, um, he, he is set to be a Minnesota captain, University of Minnesota captain uh, this following year, but it is very fitting for the Wild to like get a guy who uh, grew up in Minnesota. Um, like It just reminds me of the Parise and Ryan Suter things, because both those guys grew up um, in Minnesota as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is... As for Kevin Fiala, of course, he it's going to be a huge loss for them. Um, you know, he had uh, 85 points in 82 games for Minnesota last year. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. It, it's weird, though, because it feels like Fiala is a very streaky player. Um, and, I, yeah, I'm just curious to see how he, like, he does on this Kings team where his line mates aren't going to be as good as they are in Minnesota. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I could see this working out. Los Angeles did make the playoffs and, and this is like a move for LA to, to get, um, 
you know, to to start to like build on what they have already, and and this could definitely help them out. Uh, they are, um, you know, they they could uh, they could easily make the playoffs again, especially if Fiala um, is as good as he was last year for Minnesota. So, um, yeah, I could see this working out. Uh, in terms of the contract for Fiala. Uh, he ends up signing a seven-year deal worth uh, seven point eight five eight seven five million per year. He's a no-movement clause for the first uh, four years, and then he has a, 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 a no-trade clause, a ten-team no-trade list for the rest, the last three years of his contract. Um, however, he is twenty-five years old, so it's like you know. This is a pretty good deal for him. It's a little bit expensive, but but at the same time, it's like this is a guy who, um, you know, who, who was who's been decent for the last couple of years. So I could see it working out for LA, um, but it is definitely a risky move as well. So a um, couple of uh, things. Uh, Rob Blake's fresh off a three-year extension uh, to keep his job as Kings GM. This is, I would say, his first big move in that role. And I will say that the LA Kings have some potential in the wings, but they don't have superstar potential like Kevin Fiala, which is where he helps out in that regard. Uh, game five against the Oilers in the first round. Their left wingers were Alex Iafalo. Again, good top nine forward, but on the first line, maybe a bit of a stretch there. You have Carl Grundstrom on the second line, Brendan Lemieux on the third, and Athanasiu, pending free agent, by the way, uh, on the fourth line. On the right side, normally you might have Victor Arvidsson, but he's hurt, so Adrian Kempe is the first line right winger. Trevor Moore, very good season in his own right on the second line. The now-retired Dustin Brown on the third line and Arthur Kelly of a promising prospect. He's on the fourth line. So you have a guy in Kevin Fiala that can play either side of the wing. That's good. You have a guy that had 85 points in 82 games on a line with Matt Boldy, who came in middle of the way through the season, displayed instant chemistry with him. Um, 262 shots on goal this year. Uh, only 17 power play points, by the way. That's important to note. Only 17 power play points. So he's still a point-of-game player at even strength as well. Um, and he didn't really average an alarming amount of power play time per game. And his average ice time was 17.39. The year before, 16.54. 162 shots, 20 goals, 40 points in 50 games. This year in 82 games, he had 33 goals. So the numbers have been there for Kevin Fiala for a while that he can be a point-per-game scorer in this league, but he didn't really hit it until this year. So the LA Kings, they're banking on upside. They're banking on Kevin Fiala having more good seasons like he did this year, and that's what they're paying for. I don't mind the contract term because right now he's 25 going on 26, so when it ends... He'll be 32 or 33 years old, around that range. That's not a bad range at all. I do think the price tag is a bit high. The fact that he has a no move and it doesn't kick in until year two 
But like you mentioned, Brett, years two, three, and four, there's the no move, and there's a 10-team no trade list for the final three years. And in uh, years two, three, four, and five, he's making upwards of $8 million per season. The highest it goes is $8.75 million. Fortunately, there's signing bonuses involved, so basically $16 million of the 55.125 he's making is signing bonuses over the course of that time. Um, so from, from that sense, I like it for the Kings. Does it make them instantly better? To an extent, yes, but I do think uh, they need more weapons in the fray before you can call them a legit contender. I still think their offense is fairly underrated. Maybe this gets Victor Arvidsson's game going as well. They only have so many prime years of Kopitar down the middle, and Philip Deneau is behind him. So short term, their center is fine, but down the line it could become a problem as Kopitar regresses. Um, and that could impact Fiala's production to a certain extent as well. Because, again, you look at the line mates that uh, Kevin Fiala played with on Minnesota, if he could do that, then, you know, even if Kopitar does regress, maybe uh, Rob Blank is banking on Fiala to, to continue to produce points, and there's, there's also a possibility there. Now... In terms of the trade from the Minnesota perspective, I definitely like the fact they get a defensive prospect in Brock Faber. That's huge, considering that you do have names like Kalen Addison in the mix, but other than that, there's not much to speak of in terms of the youth movement on the back end. Up front on forwards, they're fine. But defensively, I think they could use some added depth there in the prospect pool. Brock Faber definitely brings that. And plus, he's a Minnesota guy. He also is really excited to go to Minnesota Wild Games when Kirill Kaprizov scores. I saw that picture that uh, you sent to me. That was pretty funny. Um, And they also get a 19th overall pick, which, depending on how they use it, could be uh, another hit for Bill Guerin. This is what really got me, is the fact that a couple weeks ago... Kevin Fiala posted on Instagram, thank you, Minnesota, which led us to believe that something might happen once we get to the offseason. And sure enough, within the first few days, he gets moved to L.A. Why Minnesota did that so early in the offseason leads me to believe, in my opinion, I have no sources to clarify this. This It's just my opinion. It's just me talking. Leads me to believe that they're going to go big game hunting for one of the number one centers out there. And my guess is Evgeny Malkin. And there are three reasons why. First of all, he'd probably be playing on a line with Kirill Kaprizov. Pretty good. Second of all, I think he spent too much time in Sidney Crosby's shadow. He wants to be the guy for once. And third, who was his teammate in 2009? when the Penguins won the Stanley Cup? And who was in the Penguins' front office when they had that two-peat? Oh, Bill Guerin, the current GM of the Minnesota Wild. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm calling it now. Keep your eye on Malkin in Minnesota because I think think there's some truth to that. And they need to clear up cap space to make room for that. And by doing this deal now, I think definitely says – they're going big game hunting in free agency for that number one center. Because honestly, 
if if you're Minnesota, you need guys to help now. You already have a solid prospect pool. You don't need to add another prospect and 19th overall. You need real help right now to capitalize on the prime years of Kirill Kaprizov while you still have him before those Parisians buyouts suck the life out of your salary cap. Yeah. And I think the fact that they went for futures and getting Fiala tells me a lot because you look at the guys, you look at the other teams in the running, Ottawa senators were considered a front runner and they have endless amounts of talent in their prospect pool. Same with New Jersey. They were also a front runner looking to make a big splash and they traded Kevin Fiala to the Kings for a defensive prospect and 19th overall this year. That's it. They want the cap space to do something big. That's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting because, like, Minnesota, I wouldn't say, is rebuilding, and they're the opposite of that. So it is a little strange that they were doing that. However, when you look at their, like, Minnesota's cap situation, it's like they still have $6.5 million in cap space left. So, like, yeah, I mean, I guess it would make sense to get someone like Malkin because, you know, the Russian connection with Kaprizov. Um, and, but, you you know, there's also, as you mentioned before, they do have a deep prospect pool already. Maybe Marco Rossi becomes that guy um, and, um, and does that. And despite the fact that, like, yeah, you, you, Minnesota has been looking for that center for a while now, it's you still like you know Kevin Fiala is a left winger so it's like they you address a left winger instead of addressing the center situation so yeah maybe they go out and get Johnny Gaudreau instead um maybe that's what they're thinking um but um but yeah maybe it's just uh or yeah maybe they just don't um or maybe they, they have something where it's like, okay, they believe in Marco Rossi that much, and, and they're going to address it that way. But um, I also yeah, think we'll if they if they might need more cap space to fill out their needs. Yep. And we've heard it before in previous years, Matt Dumba maybe yep. being on the trading block. Yep. A year left on his deal, it wouldn't surprise me if the trade rumors start up again. We'll see what happens uh, closer to draft day on Thursday and throughout the offseason even, but... It also wouldn't surprise me if uh, if they move on from Matt Dumba. It depends on how he fits in their plans. Because they also oh, they already have Jared Spurgeon and, and Jonas Brodin. As good as Matt Dumba is offensively, he still occupies around five or six million of uh, their current salary cap, and they need to maximize the pieces that they have. And if you look at the options on defense and down the middle. There aren't that many in terms of free agents. Yep. Malkin, I suggest, because he's 35 and you can maybe get him on like a two-year or a three-year deal. I'm not saying they have to break the bank to get him. But I, I think on a multi-year deal, Malkin, Giroux, Kadri, which you'd probably have to pay more than any of them. And then there's guys like Max Domi and Vincent right. Trocek, who has some center experience as well. Uh, needless to say... The options of natural centers aren't that vast in the upcoming UFA market. And that's why I mentioned Malkin as a guy with pedigree, a guy that wants to be the guy. 
and if you're looking for that impact player on the top line to play with Kaprizov, even though Ryan Hartman had a good season, um, the only question mark I have with Malkin is injuries. He has the drive at this point. He still has the offense. He can still play. And I still think he's got something left to prove before he calls it quits. Yeah. So, so that's why I mentioned Malkin in particular. No, no, no. I totally get why Malkin, you suggested him. I, I guess my point is is that, like, so the thing with the Wild, is, or the reason why they were they had no choice but to trade uh, Kevin Fiala, is they still owe Zach Parise and Ryan Suter $6 million each uh, for both of them. So like, and, and that's, that's it's gonna be like that for the next two years yeah. after this one too. So yeah, it's yeah. not like oh, it's one right. year they have to bite the bullet. No, in, three straight years. In fact, next year it's even worse for them because they they yeah. owe them seven point three million uh, next year and the year after that too. And then after Take that, note to every GM in yeah. free agency in ten years, yeah. this could be you. Yeah. It all depends on how your signings pan out. Well, well, thanks to the last lockout, like this. This, these type of contracts aren't allowed anymore. But yes, you're, you're yeah, totally right. True, but, but you can yeah. and you can see why they suck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they exactly. don't work out well. But like, but yeah, now it's like you know Minnesota is basically a cash cap strap team because they um, they decided to buy out Parise and Suter. Um, so it's still like you know it's it's a weird situation from that. So, like, I'm thinking, like, yeah, you could go out and get Malkin, and maybe he won't require them to get a ton of money. But, like, still, like, you have $6 million in cap space, and you still have, like, I mean, I guess the current free agents that you need to sign are still okay. I mean, you would need to get a goalie, like Marc-Andre Fleury is a UFA, so you're just relying Yeah, there's on, also you know, that, goals. too. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. And then you have... Um, yeah, Nick Buke said you can live without Deloria, you can live without um, Jordy Benton and Jake Mil- Middleton um, are also free agents, although Middleton's are RFA, so maybe you can sign them for cheap. But And, and that's where they're banking yeah. on the youth movement, Brett, to come up big. They yeah. need the youth movement here, and for they sure. need them ASAP. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so that's why I'm like thinking like maybe they just try to address it in-house with like guys like Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, that, that's why they, they had to trade Kevin Fiala, um, because, uh, they couldn't afford him, um, in his new contract. Um, okay, um, we also have, um, the other deal, uh, is Brock Besser. He signs with, uh, or re-signs with Vancouver, I should say. Uh, six point six five million uh, for three years. Um, Brock Besser uh, didn't have a great year this year, um, even after um, Boudreaux uh, start coaching. Uh, we later found out that it was because his dad um, was very ill, um, and he ended up passing away a few a few weeks ago. Um, and he's been fun. very ill for a couple of yeah. years prior to his death yeah. as well. So and, that probably factored into and, the and previous Besser, years And Besser, uh, Besser was very emotional about it when he, uh, when yeah. he mentioned it. So, um, so yeah, that, like, you know, you kind of have to give him a, like, um, I, I'm not sure what the word is, like solidarity for, for this season. Um, or past mm-hmm. the season, I should say. Um, even though, you know, because, like, we expect him to be, like, a 
60, 70 point guy. Um, but yeah, this year it's like, okay, he, um, he was clearly going through something and, um, and that's, that's sad. So, um, so yeah, even, even still like this isn't a bad move for Vancouver. Um, you know, like, uh, for someone like Brock Besser, um, a guy, he's still 25 years old and like assuming that he can get away from this, uh, tragedy that he, uh, suffered, um, you know, he, like, you know, 6.6 is, isn't terrible. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't hate that deal. Um, and it's, it's not going to like break the bank for them in the, in the meantime. So, um, I mean, I guess maybe eventually when they have to deal with Bo Horvat and JT Miller's contract next year, um, or the fact that like, um, Elias Peterson is going to be an RS, RFA to, in two years from now. So, um, so you have that to, to worry about, but like, I like, yeah, 6 million is still a lot, but it's not going to be like a huge thing where they have to like trade everyone, uh, just to make sure the core is all together. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't hate the signing and this is kind of what I was expecting, um, of this kind of deal. Beyond the next three years, I don't know what the future holds for Brock Besser and the Vancouver Canucks, but I do think he is capable of getting 30 to 40 goals with the Canucks moving forward. Uh, as a rookie, he had 29 goals in 62 games, 55 points, so that's a 73-point pace. And again, that takes him into 30 to 40 goal territory over a full 82 games. 26 goals in 69 games his second year, 56 points. That's a 67 per 82. Uh, throughout the better part of the past four years, he's been averaging three to four minutes of power play time, the highest being 407 in 2019-20. Um, but the past three years, 16 goals in 57 games, 23 goals in 56 games. That was the COVID-shortened season. And then 71 games this year, he had 23 goals. And in the second half to his credit, he picked it up and finished with 11 power play goals on the campaign too. So towards the second half, he definitely got better. And I feel that was a testament to figuring out the offense under Bruce Boutreau because you also saw Elias Peterson pick up his play in the second half. A lot of Canucks didn't have a good first half. But in the second half, they were much better. The other thing that this provides is, okay, you have Besser under contract for three years. You have Connor Garland with term. Now you got to figure out what happens with JT Miller. And the rumbling is, he's, he, in the past, he hasn't been really keen on signing long-term with Vancouver. And if that's still the case, they'll get a lot of teams interested in his affordable cap hit. And when you look at JT Miller's numbers, you think Brock Besser's numbers are decent? JT Miller's been the top scorer in Vancouver the past two seasons. And this is a guy that can get 80 and 90 points. You know how many playoff contenders would love that for a guy who's making under $6 million? A lot of people uh, in, a, in a salary cap that only went up a million, it's now going to be $82.5 million. That's going to be a luxury. And a lot of teams would be willing to break the bank to get a year of JT Miller. Which is why I think it'd probably be best if the Canucks trade him, especially when you consider that Bo Horvat is going to be a UFA after this season. He's the captain, the heart and soul. I think he probably sticks around. You also have Peterson down the middle as well. Um, 
And what and you know what with Brock Besser, you have Niels Hogland during the mix too. Um, a lot of potential there with the with the young Russian Vasily Podkolzin. And on top of that, um, and I don't think we mentioned this before, Andre Kuzmenko, who had a pretty good season uh, in the KHL this past year, uh, he's coming into Vancouver on a one-year deal, 26-year-old. He could be something too. So there are a lot of unknowns, but there's a lot of potential and a lot of potential upside under Bruce Boudreau, under a full year of Bruce Boudreau for the Canucks to do some damage. But there's also a lot of chatter as to what the core looks like beyond this year. And uh, I think you need to figure that out before the start of next season. If you know darn well that JT Miller's probably walking in free agency, get that deal done before training camp. Don't let it be a distraction throughout the year. Know what you have heading into the season and go from there. It's, in my opinion, a pretty winnable division if Vancouver plays their cards right. And depending on how their offseason goes and what they do, top three is definitely in the picture for them. I really believe that a few minor tweaks and they could be all right. It could also go pretty south for them um, a lot. They're kind of like the West Coast Montreal. A lot of things could go right. A lot of things could go wrong and they could fall off a cliff. But we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, overall, I like the Brock Besser deal. It's good term for three years. Um, and hopefully, um, now now that the hard stuff is out of the way, uh, Brock Besser can just focus on playing hockey again because I don't think that's something that he really got the chance to do uh, under the circumstances facing his family the past few years. Yep. Yeah, you, you certainly, like, pull for him after hearing all that stuff. Um, I should mention that the Vancouver Canucks also signed uh, Kuzmenko, um, who's from the KHL. He, he's been pretty good in the KHL for the last couple of years. Um, so this, this kind of move, or these, you never know with these KHL stuff, especially now in Russia, but, um, but it is kind of, uh, you know, it, it feels like it's always a mixed bag because it could be like something like a Panarin that, or Kucherov that always seems to, that's like the best case scenario, scenario, or it could end up being, uh, Shipachov or uh, who is that a Gusev type type thing? So um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. But um, but yeah, it's um, that that it could be something promising where it's like oh right like you know where like a year from now we're we're thinking like remember when the Canucks signed like you know Kuzmenko turned out to be a pretty good player for Vancouver like what a low key nice signing and. And here's here's the warning. However, if he uh, if he turns out to not be that good, it's just like forget I ever mentioned anything. Um, all right, uh, we're now going to the Tampa Bay obituary here. We'll also do a technically it's a Colorado Avalanche obituary, but it's not really. Um, but uh, but yeah, we're going to start off with Tampa Bay here. They ended up losing the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, and, uh, yeah, they also immediately made some moves as well, which we'll get to as a, in, a, in a bit. Um, but, yeah, they, they ended up losing. It was a, a very exciting Stanley Cup Finals. Um, it was, yeah, one of the ones that, like, you know, it was truly, like, the best on best, and it lived up to the hype. 
um, it was it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just like you also hear heard all these stories afterwards of like Tampa, like uh, Ryan McDonough ended up playing with like a mangled finger. Um, there was just a bunch of injuries that Tampa Bay had. I, I think that one's the one that was the most notable one. Um, but like, it's just like crazy that Tampa was doing all that stuff. And Braden Point, by the way, ended up being injured. Um, like he played a little bit in Game Three, but then it just turned out that he just couldn't play anymore for Tampa. So. Anthony Sorelli, I think, was also banged up. If I yeah, remember yeah. correct, was, I think Nick Vita Kucherov was battling. Basically, like well. all of the yeah, like half of the team was was banged up. So. Um, I mean, like, you know, at the, at this stage, like, everyone um, was banged up. Like, Val Nichushkin, like, was playing with, like, a broken foot, basically. Um, and he was playing, like, the best hockey of his life. So it's, like, it's hard to, like, you know, I guess it is a valid excuse. But at the same time, when you, like, notice that, like, all these other players were, like, pretty much no one on the ice for both teams were playing at 100%. It's like okay, it's it's not as impressive, but at the same time, it's like it's pretty crazy that like they are all like they were all pretty much messed up. Um, yeah, I, I and I think like to your point, I think Sorelli uh, or Cooper had mentioned that if this was just the regular season, Sorelli would probably be out for three months. Um, if it wasn't the playoffs or something. <laughs> so it's just like... I it, get because yeah. it's the cup, but goddamn. Yeah. No, I know. It's my big pet peeve, but it's just like, okay, at that point, it's like, I get it's the playoffs and all that stuff, but like, what are we doing here? It's like, <laughs> you're, you're risking your future You're happiness. risking all of your limbs. Yeah, you're, you're risking your, be worth all it your life. You win the cup. Not to mention, you already have two cups. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, there were two wins away. Yeah, there yeah. were two wins away for the third it's straight. It's just yeah. like why? Why do you? Yeah, whatever. But it's uh, it, it is ridiculous. But at the same time, whatever. I, I guess it's like it's a. I'm. I feel like I'm beating a broken horse or a broken drum. Is that the right? I'm yeah. beating a dead horse. Beating a dead horse. Yeah, but there is also beating one a like a, a, bro- a broken drum. I think there is like a broken drum analogy, but I yeah, I probably there that. is. Yeah, um, but uh, but yeah. Anyways, uh, so Tampa Bay, uh, they immediately or almost immediately, uh, they sign Nick Paul to a contract, uh, which I thought I had it here. Oh, I do have it here. Three point one five million for seven years. Um, that kind of reminds me of like those like Jay Beagle deals with uh, the uh, Canucks a few years ago. It's just like you know, like I I like Nick Paul. He's a good player. Uh, he's a good depth player. But like depth player, that's like a sign. Depth players shouldn't be signed long term. Um, it's just doesn't make sense to me but also gets yeah. a no trade the first four years yeah, and uh Ine, he can veto a trade to half the league basically wow. in all of his final three years too yeah um i mean like he he is a good player don't get me wrong it's just like he's more of like a bottom six player so it's just like i don't i don't get why they did this especially when it's long term he's 27 years old I, 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 like, it's such a head-scratcher, but, like, you know, Tampa, I guess Tampa's just one of those teams where I'm just, like, okay, they clearly know what they're doing, there's something that I don't know, but, um, but, yeah, at the same time, it's just, like, what, what, what's going on in Tampa? Um, and then also, 
Um, I guess I should mention that Riley Nash, uh, Andre Palat, Jan Ruta are all UFAs, um, and uh, they just traded uh, Ryan McDonough. Uh, there was like reportings uh, for a while out there that Tampa was looking to offload Ryan McDonough, who's making six point seven million, um, to to Nashville. Um, which we'll get into Nashville in a second in their perspective. But they, um, Tampa ends up getting uh, Philip Myers and Grant Mishmash. And yes, that is a real guy, Grant Mishmash. Um, <laughs> it's going to be fun uh, to m- pronounce his name if he ever. He brings a mishmash of items to the table. Exactly, yeah. Um, and yeah, it, I don't know. I, I guess this is a like a cap dump trade. Um, but like, you know, Ryan McDonough is still like, he's, he's on the other side of 30. Um, he's been in the league forever and, but like, he's still a, a decent, like shutdown defenseman. Um, and so, yeah. And, uh, Philip Myers is also not bad. If you remember, this was, uh, the same Philip Myers that Nashville got for the Ryan Ellis trade. So basically Nashville... Uh, traded Ryan Ellis for Ryan McDonough. Um, I'm not sure if I love that that, that trade uh, for them, but um, but yeah, like you know, Philip Myers didn't end up doing so well in uh, Nashville, but uh, but yeah, maybe maybe he'll do well in Tampa. Um, they always tend to bring out the most out of these guys, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's. I guess it is a cap dump move, um, but they're still, um, they still have no cap left, um, so they're probably gonna make. They they probably have a few more moves up their sleeves unless they don't want to trade or they they don't want to sign Andre Palat. Yeah, we'll get to the national side of uh, this trade yeah. uh, when we get into the free agency or. Even at the draft, uh, if Nationals uh, got another couple of tricks up their sleeve. Uh, mostly focusing on the Tampa standpoint. Uh, Ryan McDonough, the defense is still there, but I think they want to keep Ian Ruta, even though he's 31 years old. I think uh, the chemistry works very well. Eric Cernak is going to be an RFA after next year. So is Mikhail Sergachev. Uh, speaking of Philip Myers, so is he. All those guys are arbitration eligible too, so, and uh, respectively, Sergachev makes four point eight, Cernak makes two point nine five, Philip Myers is two point five five, uh, with uh, Cernak, Myers, and Bogosian, and Calfoot all natural right-handed shots. That leaves Hedman, Sergachev, and Ruda on uh, the left side of the D. Um, I'm not going to count Brent Seabrook because he's never playing another game, so uh, he's he's no longer in the equation there. Um, in terms of the Nick Paul contract, it's a gamble if he's nothing more than a bottom six forward. But what if he's a top six forward? And I know he takes face-offs, but he, it says on Cap Friendly, he has experience on left wing. You know who else has experience on left wing? Andre Palat, who's going to be a free agent and occupied uh, four or five-ish million of the team's salary cap. Um, you also have Anthony Sorelli that you're going to have to pay at uh, the end of this year. Alex Kalorn on an expiring contract as well. 
Uh, Ross Colton, another arbitration-eligible RFA. Um, so if you're thinking long-range game, there are some other things that Tampa could do. They might choose to walk away from Andre Pallott if they can't afford to keep him. They might choose to trade away Alex Kalorn. And in that case, Nick Paul all of a sudden could be a guy on the first or second line, uh, likely the second line. And then you also have Brandon Hagel, who has experience on both the left and the right side of the wing. And he's on a cap-friendly contract of $1.5 million for the next two years. I, uh, I said at the time when they got him for two first-round picks, so speaking of very odd, very odd but bold gambles that Tampa's made in the past, um, I still think the upside is there with Brandon Hagel. It didn't show offensively in the playoffs, I realized that. But he did offer a lot to the table in other ways, and he was a valuable contributor in whatever ways he provided for the Tampa Bay Lightning throughout this playoff run. And I think the best is yet to come for Brandon Hagel and for Nick Paul in the right situation. It all depends on the situation that those guys are in. This could be a very underrated signing for Nick Paul, and for Nick Paul, this is even better because he gets eat most of this money I doubt he gets this contract in Ottawa, and I doubt he gets it on contending teams not named the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think this is part of a bigger plan if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think them trading Barkley Goudreau's rights to the Rangers, I think they have a bit of buyer's remorse or seller's remorse in, in this particular case because there are shades of Barkley Goudreau's contract in this Nick Paul contract where I'm thinking, man, they didn't want to let him go, did they? And they were willing to give him as much no-trade protection as possible. And maybe Nick Paul is like a David Prawn where he's a late bloomer. He's only 27 years old. He's still got a fair amount of bite in his game. And he's a guy that, that kills penalties too. You need that with the likes of Anthony Sorelli there. And I think the chemistry is there for this to become a valuable signing. The one thing I didn't like, uh, and it's it's more of a pet peeve on my part, it's something that I think got lost in the shuffle of uh, the game six win. And it's more about character. And um, I hearken back to 2019, first round sweep of Columbus, where Nikita Kutrov makes this awful hit, gets suspended for it, and puts his team further down in the hole, and they can't dig themselves out of it. And they get swept by Columbus in the first round. I don't know if you saw, Brett, but I guess Nikita Kutrov's stick broke, and that tip to Nasher for uh, tweeting this. Uh, apparently his stick broke, went to the bench, there yeah. wasn't one ready, this is with like 25, 30 seconds left in game six of the Stanley Cup Finals. Your yep. team is down by a goal. And Nikita Kucherov absolutely loses it. And I'm not going to say he gave up on his team, gave up on the play, but he was pissed and didn't look engaged in the play. And it sure looked like he gave up. As a veteran, I expect better from veterans, especially dominant veterans that can take over hockey games. You never quit on a play, especially if your team is down by a goal with 30 seconds left in an elimination game in the Stanley Cup Finals, and they need you to produce. The last thing you can be doing 
is throwing a hissy fit. Mistakes happen even in the Stanley Cup Finals. Set a better example. And I'm sure Nikita Kucherov, this is a mistake, and you'll learn from it. But just just a word to everyone out there. Don't quit in a moment like that. That's the worst thing you can possibly do. Yeah, I mean, well, we're, we're going to get into Game 6 um, uh, in, in a little bit. But, um, well, I guess we can get into it now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't a great look, I will admit. But... Yeah. I just I just wanted to mention it because I feel like it's an antidote that unless you saw Nasher's tweet, you probably wouldn't have realized. I didn't until I saw it personally. Yeah, I mean, but like I I don't like I don't know if it's necessarily like like something that's like huge. It wasn't like a Tony D'Angelo throwing the <laughs> throwing no, the stick I mean, at Brad Marchand. He could have done worse things. I yeah. I definitely uh, agree with that. Uh, but uh, it's just after everything uh, that uh, Tony's been through those. Back-to-back Stanley Cup championships, and the way he was able to deliver in clutch situations throughout those playoff runs. Right. Like he knows better than that. He doesn't need to do that. Yeah. That that it it, it was it was just surprising that a guy who knows better and knows that he needs to be a leader on the team would just flip out like that in the dying seconds of a crucial game. Yeah, yeah, I guess that is fair, but like I don't know. Just, just even go on the ice and do something. Back check, forward check, c- create something. But the last thing, the last thing you can do, um, is get frustrated in a moment like that. Find a way to contribute, e- even if you're going off for a line change or whatever. Don't be all pouty on the bench. Be a good team player. Get the, get the bench energized or whatever. Bring positive vibes however you can. Just be a good teammate. You, you, you don't like to see professionals just lose it like that. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Uh, apologize for the noise. Of course, that's because I was looking at a box score <laughs> while it was going on. Um, oh, the box scores have pop-up ads now. Holy exactly, hell. Exactly, exactly. Now it's crazy. Um, what a world we live in. Hopefully that doesn't happen again, but it might. Um, but uh, yeah, game game six happened. Uh, Tampa takes an early lead by Stephen Stamkos, um, and then in the second period, uh, Nathan McKinnon scores because of course he does, and then uh, the game winner was uh, granted to Arteri Lekkonen as well. Um, actually, I should mention that. Um, yeah, I guess we'll we'll talk about Nashville's. Um, side of things eventually because i i'd imagine philip forsberg is going to uh, yeah be what, traded what, what happens with philip forsberg then yeah. we'll talk about the mcdonough yeah, yeah. stuff sure, whatever sure. later because there's there's yeah. there's still time for national we have we have a whole off season to get to national yeah we have a whole summer to do that <laughs> exactly. yeah. uh so anyways uh arteri lekanen gets uh the the eventual game winner um in the second period there were no scores in the third period although it was like Tampa had a, a lot of chances during that that time, so uh, so yeah, it was, a, it was definitely an exciting game, even though it doesn't seem like seem like it. Um, but yeah, I I think it was just like like you're mentioning, like I mean, Tampa was half like most of the team was banged up, as you're saying, like you know Kucherov is just given up and all that stuff. So um, so yeah, I I just think like overall at the end of the day, it was just that Colorado just had a better team. Um, and, and that's ended up what's, what's happening. Um, I was excited for this because it's like, um, you know, I, I felt like 
Um, you know, well, I had predicted Colorado was going to win the cup the last two years. They were my preseason pick the last two years. So I'm, I'm happy that I was right on that, on that front. And I even predicted them to win this year as well. So, um, so I'm, I'm just, just going to say it's like, I told you so everyone. Um, although I guess it wasn't too much of a surprise because Colorado is obviously a very good team. Um, and yeah, I, I guess the, the best news is that McKinnon can now eat carbs. Um, he, uh, he deserves it. Um, and, and maybe he's going to be less lenient, like he's going to be more lenient on his teammates and uh, doesn't control what they eat. Um, it was, it is, has been kind of funny though, seeing like the whole like celebration stuff. Uh, first off, there was like uh, Nicholas Abe Kubel like dented the Stanley Cup in the <laughs> yeah, photo. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, just, like, just a picture frozen in time. Yeah. It was like no. Right, right. It it was really funny too because like everyone's reaction to it, like was yeah. caught on camera, and they were all they all had I the same face. I feel like John face. White Media could yeah. make a video out of that for sure. Yeah, exactly. And then um, eventually, uh, I don't know if you caught this as well but it got dented again <laughs> like eventually after at like a party i forget who actually yeah, dented it loves to party in yeah Russia, yeah but, it, but it's funny <laughs> and then uh during the parade uh bo byram was lost for a second uh like the security guard didn't even know who bo byram was like he thought it was a random fan oh, it's, just no. like, it's just like no no this is actually like one of the one of the future of the colorado avalanche um, and um, so he was, was a healthy funny. scratch on a playoff yeah. run. He, he, he counts. He's a part of the team. Yeah, he's a part of the team. But it was just funny. Um, and um, and yeah, and then like you could see like a drunken Gabe Landeskog. Um, it was it was kind of like a good time. Um, and then uh, yeah, we were right that Kale uh, Makar ended up winning the Conn Smythe. Um, and and it I was said well win or lose. By the way, he was yeah. Win. He did he did say that. I would imagine that would be the case too. Um, but yeah, that, that's nice. Um, I think he's also like the first, one of the first, um, maybe, I'm not, I'm actually not sure if, uh, if he was, uh, the, the first, but he has, a, he got the, the Conn Smythe, uh, the Norris Trophy, and I think he also won another award, but like, I think he's like the first to win the Conn Smythe and the Norris or something, or like maybe one of three or something like that. Um, but, uh, but I, either way, it doesn't matter. He, um, it's incredible that this guy is 23 years old. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's only getting better. It's like, you know, yes, we, we talk about McDavid all the time. We're still not on the, like, he's not still not on this level, but, um, but I, I think we're pretty close now. It's like, you know, we could be talking about like the future, like the modern day Bobby Orr um, around here. Um, if, if he He's the Connor McDavid of defensemen today. Yes, yes, but like... like I, he's, I, he's miles ahead of everyone else. Yeah, I mean, but I still would rather have no, McDavid no on my team. No disrespect Edmund or Yossi, but I mean... Oh yeah, of like, course. Like, just the things that he can do on the ice, his goal-scoring prowess, oh, yeah, the way yeah. he sets people up, like, my God. And, and, he's, and he's great defensively, too, not only that. But, and, and he's only 23, 24 yeah, years old, too. That's what I just said, yeah. But, yeah, um, exactly. But, like, I, I mean, still, like, okay, if you're going to make, uh, like, let's say the NHL disbands and they make a new league, 
and you have the first overall pick. You're the you're the I don't know you're the <laughs> the Buffalo Sabers. You have the first overall pick. Um, you can pick anyone in the league. Are you going with McDavid or are you going with McCarr? Because for I, I I think it's like still no question. I'm going it, with McDavid. It, I'd probably go McDavid, but given I'd be tempted with McCarr, given the fact that very few defensemen can do what McCarr does. You could get a dominant offensive player, maybe not as good as McDavid, but like they're game changing forwards like Panarin and Kaprizov True. and whatnot. Just because of how rare it is to get yeah. a guy like Kale McCarr, I'd probably go McCarr for that reason. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I mean, the thing though that you have to think about though is like, so like, let's say you get McDavid in the first round, I would imagine a lot of forwards would already be taken in those like the next couple picks so then when it's like round 32 you're you're probably going to get a decent defenseman back whereas i don't know but like that the the whole point of this is that i'd still like mcdavid's still gonna be like the best player in the league um i don't know i don't i don't think that's a debate um uh was really my whole point but yeah i can see i can see that argument for sure anyways um, but yeah, he yeah. was incredible. He had, um, he had, uh, uh, let me just look here. He had 29 points in 20 games, um, which is incredible, not just for a defenseman, but, um, yeah, for like a, like a, if a forward did this, this would be incredible too. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's amazing. And yeah, we're, we're watching one of the greats, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. In terms of the Colorado Avalanche as a team, what's, what's interesting is that they're 3-0 in Stanley Cup Finals. Every single time they've been to the Finals, they've won. Much better than the Colorado Rockies that turned into the Devils and were known as a Mickey Mouse organization. And they did have Lanny McDonald, but they basically wasted his talent when they were the Rockies in the 80s. Um, but that's side point. You look at where the Avs were, again, a couple of years ago, and Jared Bednar, in 2016-17, enters a situation where Patrick Waugh resigns because of off-ice differences with Joe Sackick in terms of his vision for the team and what Joe wanted for the team. And I believe it circulates back to whether or not they were going to get Alex Radulov. I think that was a big thing. Right, right. And... Jared Bednar comes into the picture and the Colorado Avalanche are no good, very bad. Everyone knows they're very bad. And they don't even get the first overall pick or the second or the third. They get the fourth. And they were clearly in dire need of the first overall pick. And they luck out and get Kale McCarr. And then things turn around the next year. They trade away Matt Duchesne for a fortune to Ottawa. We all know how that trade goes. They get some pieces that are part of this championship team now. McKinnon bounces back. Rantanen emerges. Landis Cog bounces back. Uh, somewhere along the line, Kale McCarr blossoms into the defenseman we all know today. Andre Burakovsky had some challenges. He comes into the mix. Valerie Nachushkin gets bought out by Dallas. Um, 
I think there was one, his final season in Dallas, he didn't even score a single goal for them. And all of a sudden, he turns into this solid secondary scorer. Uh, Nick Obey-Kubel, a waiver wire pickup, plays a pivotal role going from Philly to Colorado. You look across the board, Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson's a Stanley Cup champion, people. Wake up and smell the roses, smell the coffee. Jack Johnson's a Stanley Cup champion. Eric Johnson, who was the first overall pick in a year where I think Jonathan Taves was second or third overall, finds his way in Colorado. He's been through so many ups and downs. He's a Stanley Cup champion. And Darcy Kemper, after losing his gig in Minnesota, becoming a backup, finding his craft, going to Arizona, the ups and downs there, finds his way to Colorado, wins a Stanley Cup. You look at the triumphs and tribulations with this Colorado Avalanche team. There was so much heartache around the dressing room. All you had to do was look around and look at the stories of all of these players and how they've grown as a group in a short period of time. This is what I love the most about Stanley Cup championship winners is you look at all of the stories, how they went from here to like where they were four years ago or even beyond that the path that they took to get here to become champions. There are so many success stories with this Colorado Avalanche team. They're such an easy team to love. And hey, Nassim Kadri, career year, contributor in the playoffs, scores the game winner in game four to give them a 3-1 series lead. No longer a playoff liability, could easily get the contract of his life in the offseason too. There's just so much to love about this Avalanche team. And and before we get to how their team's going to look like moving forward, just take a moment and appreciate what Colorado was able to do. Yep. They were, for a while, despite a mediocre start, like the first five, ten games were a mediocre start, they figured it out, they got rolling, they didn't look back, they almost won the President's Trophy. Obviously, they didn't have as tough a road to get here as Tampa Bay did, but they still faced off against some pretty good teams. They took down McDavid and Dreisaitl. They took down a balanced St. Louis Blues team as well. And Nashville, they handled with ease despite a few yep. hiccups. But either way, the Preds had a lot of good feel-good stories there. And they swept them in the first round too. And you go into Tampa and... While games three, four, five, and six were evenly matched, the way they took hold of that series in games one and two, especially game two, these guys proved that they belonged against the best, and they proved that they are the best team. Yeah. So congrats, tip of the hat to Joe Sackick, Jared Bednar, to everyone in the Colorado Avalanche on a terrific, terrific season. They deserve the win, and it's a historic moment for a franchise that definitely had a rich history at the start has gone through a lot of pain since Joe Sackett retired. And now with him as the GM, they're on top of the hockey world once again. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, Kale McCarr said that like uh, the Lightning were trying to go for a dynasty, but the Avalanche were going for a legacy. And I thought that was like yeah. a really fitting quote and, and really the, the tell of the whole story. It's like, yeah. Like, I mean, the Lightning also, had, you know, obviously they had Le Cavier and um, Martin St. Louis back in the day, but 
Um, but yeah, the Avalanche were like the team in the 90s besides the Red Wings, of course. So um, I thought that was fitting. It's also kind of cool that like, you know, we, we always talked about how Yeiserman's this like great GM and he knows what he's doing, but somehow like fitting that like the Sackick and the Yeiserman rivalry it continues <laughs> now. Um, it's like, okay, yeah, well. Even though, yeah, even though Yeiserman isn't with Tampa, like yeah. but, largely the success yeah. of the Tampa Bay Lightning yeah. was off of yeah. Iserman's shoulders. Right? Exactly. And even better, like, Yeiserman is now the GM for the Detroit Red Wings. So it's like once, like, I, I have no doubt that Yeiserman uh, knows what he's doing in Detroit. So it's like we could eventually maybe see a Detroit, Colorado, Stanley Cup Finals where Yeiserman and yeah, Sackick which, are the which, GM. Yeah, which did never happen because they're yeah. in the same conference. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. So so it is It is kind of cool that, like, the two captains of that big rivalry in the 90s is, like, they're they're also really good GMs. So it's, it's I mean, it yeah. shouldn't be surprising, but it's it's kind of amazing that um, it's happened that way. Um, and the and, fact that Joe Sackick yeah. was willing to go all in with this yeah. group, like, no first, no second, no fourth this year, right. who cares? No second, no yeah. fourth next year, who cares? No second, no third, no fifth the year after that, who freaking yeah. cares? They won the cup. They did They I did mean, what they set out to do, and he, and he believed in this group. And to, to be fi- you, you could just yeah. see them all celebrating. They they celebrated like, yeah. like a team. Yep. I mean, to be fair, it's like most Stanley Cup teams don't have their first or their second or their fourth. Um, but yes, I, I totally agree that it's it's nice and and of course like you know they I, I think the other note before we get into their free agents and what they're gonna do in the off season, um, you know it's like yeah uh, they you know they they benefited a lot by like not every team can have a guy as talented as Cam McCarr or Nathan McKinnon or even Landeskog and Rantanen um, or Kadri or you know any of the like they have a lot of very very good players. But it was it was impressive because like I I didn't feel like there was a weak link at all um, during this playoff yeah. run. They're like, very well yeah, balanced. They're, they're, they're still like lines. yeah like of course you have like elite superstar players in those guys I just mentioned, but you also had like uh, Valerie Nachushkin who played lights out on a like a like a, <laughs> like a dead foot basically. JT Confer yeah. had his moments. Eric Johnson is an incredible defenseman or a shutdown defenseman. They didn't have Sam Gerard. I yeah. think, had uh, the OT winner in Game 1, and yeah, yeah. I think he, he was, was, what, playing on a broken ankle? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Darren Helm got a game winner for the OT one of these yeah. one of these games. Like, I forgot he was even in the league. Uh, Darcy Kemper and Pavel Francoz kind of, like, split the whole net, like, the entire playoffs. It's just, like... It's insane, like, when you think about it, from from even, like, the goalie perspective, it's just, like, yeah, usually, like, uh, one goalie takes over um, for a Stanley Cup Finals, but this was one of the first times when, like, both goalies were playing phenomenal, and it didn't even matter who was in net, because it was just, like, okay, well, um, you know, they, I mean, partly that's because they do have guys like Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon and Gabe Landeskog, but at the same time, it's just, like, you know, there, there's still so many times where this this team could have fallen apart because uh, they didn't have the depth um, or they didn't have good goaltending or anything like that. And yeah, here we go. It's like uh, it's like okay, it, like it, it almost is like in hindsight, it's like oh duh, Colorado wins. But I guess like at the time, it's just like 
this could have very easily fallen apart for them. Um, in terms of their free agents, they actually have a lot, uh, not to mention the fact that they have to consider the fact that Nathan McKinnon's going to be a free agent next year. Uh, he's on the, the, like, the best contract in the league right now, and that's about to change next year. So that's something to consider. He's making $6.3 right now. Um, so the good news, though, is that they still have like a lot of cap space. However, they have Burakovsky, Cogliano, uh, Darren Helm, Nazem Kadri, Val Nichushkin, Nico Sturm, Jack Johnson, Josh Manson, and Ryan, Ryan Murray and Darcy Kemper, all as UFAs. Um, in terms of RFAs, you have Nicholas Abe-Kubel and Arteri uh, Lekkonen. Um, so, I mean, ideally when you look at this, it's like Kadri, they probably should focus on signing him, but he's probably going to go to the open market. I would imagine Cogliano retires, Darren Helm retires, um, probably uh, Ryan Murray retires, or actually, I don't know, he's 28 years old. Jack Johnson's going to retire probably. Um, so you have those guys that are, you know, they're 35 years old they're, and they just won the cup. They, that, they have nothing else to approve. So they're probably retiring. But like, you know, Andre Perkowski, I could see them signing. Um, they probably should sign Arteri Lekkonen because he was a revelation in, the, in these playoffs. Uh, he kind of deserves a contract now. Um, Abe Kubel, I'm still not really sure what they're going to do with him, but um, but he's an RFA, so maybe they'll they'll get him to a team friendly deal. But um, but yeah, I kind of go and, and Darcy Kemper, I could see them maybe like holding off. Uh, like as I mentioned, yes, Darcy Kemper was pretty good in the playoffs, but it's like I, I don't know. I, I feel like they could do better. Um, I'm not sure. Like, I feel like he could get more in the open market because there's always a need for a goalie. Um, so, so maybe they they hold off and find another goalie that could be even better. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Like when you ask like if they can repeat, I don't know. It's it's still tough just because of those free agents. Like I'm already expecting Kadri is not going to be on the Avalanche this this next year. And, and that was a big reason why that, like that was like their X factor. So, um, so yeah, I'm not necessarily sure if they, they will make it to um, uh, the Stanley Cup finals. But at the same time, as I was just mentioning, it's like McCarr, McKinnon, and Landeskog and Rantanen are like the top 20 best players right now. So I, um, and like two of them are top five I mean, McCarr and McKinnon, so, um, so yeah, I, I think it's, like, I could see it happening where they, like, it wouldn't shock me, but because they have so many free agents and they have that looming uh, contract extension for McKinnon, um, yeah, they have a very, very, very interesting offseason, for sure. It might be a short-term gamble, but I think they keep Darcy Kemper, and here's why. Okay. Uh, similar to natural center depth in the UFA market, slim pickings for legit starting goaltenders that are coming off of pretty good seasons. Obviously, Darcy Kemper with 37 wins and a 921 save percentage and a respectable workload in terms of shots faced and shots stopped. He's probably going to get a lot of money because outside... Out of him and Jack Campbell and Billy Uso and 
Marc-Andre Fleury, if he decides to even play next year, that's basically the tippity-top of the, goal li- the goalie list. And Billy Huso is basically just have one great uh, a one great season as a starter. That's all you have to base it on. And Jack Campbell, it's what, two seasons as a starter now? For a guy who's mostly a late bloomer and a backup, and now 30 years old, only two years younger than Kemper? I, maybe I keep Kemper on a two-year deal if he's open to it. Maybe three. Um, it all depends on. It all depends on the goalie classes moving forward and whether or not they could get a better option. But uh, they already have Francis locked up for the the next two years. I think he's a solid Plan B. I don't see him as a solid, reliable number one starter. So I think they find a way to get something done with Darcy Kemper if they can. That's for first thing. Second thing, <clears throat> the thing as we talked about, Brett, that made the Colorado Avalanche so good was their depth. And you've got a lot of depth forwards to keep. Burakovsky, <clears throat> I think, is a guy that I think he fits the system. He's had a couple of good seasons in Colorado. I think he can continue that. And he is a guy I would probably try to keep around. Same with Nachushkin. I think he fits their system very well. I think maybe he would be willing to take some sort of a discount given the fact that he didn't really have much success before coming to Colorado. And if he wants to keep the good times going and continue to remain with this group and be on a winning culture and a fun culture, fun locker room, they seem to have a lot of fun in the dressing room. Um, I think they find a way to keep Nachushkin at a reasonable price. Uh, Darren Helm at 35, probably gone. Maybe they keep Cogliano, but probably on a one-year deal if the price is right. Uh, Lekkanen I would also keep around. Obey Kubel, perhaps. Um, he would be a guy worth keeping around. And with Nazem Kadri, I think he's going to get so many good offers that one of them he just can't refuse. Maybe from likes of Boston or Pittsburgh or whoever's in need of center death and has the money to, to fork it over. Um, I think there will be teams willing to break the bank for Nazem Kadri. And if I'm the Colorado Avalanche, I don't necessarily... I, I If I'm Joe Sackick, I make a decision where... If it's anything above this number, we're walking. Yeah. Because this guy is 31 years old. Don't get me wrong, had a great season. I don't know if he can replicate the numbers that he put up this year. So if it's over a certain number, if I'm Joe Sackick, I let Kadri walk. I thank him for his service, uh, for everything he's done for the Avs. A lot of great memories with the Avs. But if, if they go over a certain price, you need to keep as much depth as you can you could always tri- you could always be one of the teams in the JT Miller sweepstakes. You could go out via trade and go out to, and and get a couple of pieces there. Um, and there's also Vincent Trocheck who has some experience uh, down the middle as well. So it, it's not Man, it's not like the one. worst thing in the world if they let Nassim Kadri walk. So they also, that, that's my reason there. They also have uh, Alex Newhook in the system too. <laughs> Yeah, in the system too, exactly. And he's also going to be a RFA after next season, by the way. Yeah. And so will Bo and Byron. Which gets to the defense. Uh, Jack Johnson, Josh Manson, Ryan Murray. 
Yeah, I doubt they bring back a 35-year-old Jack Johnson. Ryan Murray, same thing, even though he's 28. Josh Manson's interesting because even though he was a minus 11 in the regular season since the trade out of Anaheim, he had seven points in 22 games. In the playoffs, he had eight points in 20 games. Also a reliable shutdown defender, and he's four years younger than Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson's got one year left on his deal. Maybe if I'm Joe Sackick, I consider trading uh, Eric Johnson. Uh, Obviously, there's going to be some control in Johnson's favor because he has a list of 19 teams he can be traded to, so you can't just dump him in in Arizona (laughs) for the final year of his contract or anything like that. Um, He's probably going to go to a contender if they do move him. But I try as hard as I can to keep Josh Manson in an avalanche jersey um, because he is the type of shutdown right-handed shot that they need moving forward, Um, especially in a very tough division where you need shutdown defense. You have a well-rounded defenseman in Devin Taves. You have an up-and-comer in Brolin Byram. Uh, You have Kale McCarr, obviously. Uh, Sam Gerrard has been on the trade block uh, in trade rumors before. Um, So maybe they move on from his contract to to make up some cap space too. We'll see. Um, But I I think Josh Manson is, uh, defensively speaking, the one I wouldn't let it get away. I find a way to keep him if I'm Joe Sackick. But, of course, um, there's only a certain amount of money that I'd be willing to give to Josh Manson. If it's anything over $5 million, he made he made four point one million. I think that's a good cap it. If it's anything egregiously over five million, then I probably don't do that. But um, um, Joe Sacking knows more about Josh Manson than I do, so uh, he'll he'll be the judge of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I guess they did get him in a trade. I I felt like you know when they made that trade, it was like clear that that was going to be a rental. So I'm not necessarily sure if like they need to keep him, um, but um, but yeah, yeah, I guess it wouldn't shock me if they decide to. Um, I mean, I respect him. Curtis McDermott, but like, is he where you're gonna get your physical edge from? No, but like really you sure do. That's a good idea. You do have Eric Johnson though for one more year. Um, yeah, for one more year. And Sam Gerrard, you you're gonna get Sam Gerrard back. Um, so, like you still have some some left and you know maybe yeah. maybe Bill and, and Tanks, like i said is stuff. a well-rounded defenseman he yeah. could play defensive side but like yeah, in yeah. terms of physical part, I guess, yeah in I terms guess of so. physical presence to stay a contender i think that's what really separated colorado from other teams when yeah. push came to shove is they had a guy like josh manson in the mix yeah i guess that's a fair point i don't know i i i think you could still like find guys up without it like Bowen Byram if he takes another step he's supposed to be like a heavy hitter guy type guy player but um who also has some offensive um attributes mm-hmm. as well but yeah I I see what you mean I I guess but I don't know um yeah. I don't know if you necessarily need Josh Mancini that's my point um yeah all right um so yeah we asked uh, do we think the abs will repeat what does their offseason look like uh, so yeah, I, I guess we didn't really uh, answer that or directly, but do we think the Avs will? I, th- I think it's to be determined. Honestly, I would need to see how their off season goes before I can make that. Yeah, honest, uh, I, I guess I. I and I think did. I think Tampa, in terms of whether or not they can return to form, and 
and be as good as they were last, uh, over the past three years. Yeah. It also depends on their offseason and what they do as well. Okay. There's a lot of balls in the air for both of those I, I feel I feel like that's a cop-out, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, no I, comment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I, I'm good. I mean, I understand what you're saying, and uh, I did kind of say the same thing, but I'm, I'm going to say yes. I think the Colorado Avalanche are going to figure out this out, and and they'll they'll be back. I like especially since it's like McKinnon and McCarr and Landeskog are still pretty young, so I I would not be shocked if we see them back. And the, the, at, least the, the, very, at the very finals. least, and it, and it might be a cop out, just even say this. Yeah. Regardless of what the other teams in the Central do, Colorado is still the front runners. Regardless, of yeah, what yeah, yeah. I can. I think okay. they're going to keep most of the guys they need to keep. There will be a couple of key pieces that are gone, yeah. but I think for the most part, they're still the favorites to take the Central, and um, they'll be in a good spot to definitely repeat. I don't know if they will. Yeah. Um, it, it it could depend on uh, a couple of key, uh, key pieces, maybe moving away or staying put. Yeah. Um, but. But yeah, that'll be for the off season to decide. So I can't necessarily say, but uh, I I would say if 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 you ask me today, I would say above fifty percent that the Colorado Avalanche are in the Final Four next year. At okay, least. you no longer have copped out. You've copped in. <laughs> um, I gave you somewhat of an answer, yeah, a half-assed yeah. answer. So <laughs> take it for what it's worth. Um, the uh, okay, so that that's about does it for us here uh next week is or this thursday is the draft um yep. so so that's exciting um and um yeah and then free agency is the following week so it's like we're still yeah, in the thick wednesday of it. july 13th mark your calendars folks yeah. it's gonna get rowdy yeah we're still in the thick of it uh momentarily um it is interesting though because like july 1st is usually the free agent day um, so it was a little strange to like, you know, the, when July 1st happened, I was just like, oh, right, like free agencies, like the draft hasn't even <laughs> happened yet. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting for sure. Um, okay, uh, that about does it here for us at Lace em Up. You can follow us at, on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace em Up. Um, and yeah, you can uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Elsworth. We'll talk again in episode 328 of the Lace Em Up podcast.